We're in the book of Philippians tonight. If you want to get your copy of the Word of God and open it to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. I'm waiting to see you flap again. Very good. We have signals we do if I forget to turn my lab mic on. This morning, Caleb was going at it vigorously. He looked like he was trying to get altitude coming off the balcony. Just tonight, he was trying to be more subdued. Thank you, sir. <clears throat> Philippians chapter 4. Have you found that passage? Are you there? Let's look at verse 9. We'll begin with that. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 9. And I want to speak to you this evening on the subject of the dependency of missions. The dependency of missions. It's no secret we're getting ready to go into our mission revival, Mid Ohio Bible Conference. It's coming quite quickly, isn't it? You remember young Mr. Caleb Nichols was with us? Uh, he's now married. He's going to be able to be here for two nights and bring books. He has a good collection of good, solid books, history, Bible, and such. And uh, so that's good. And uh, I like him to come in and bring all that. And we have access. It's things you don't have easy access to. Some of them quite old, some reprints of things that are good. And we're looking forward to that as we're adding. It always comes together. We have people ahead of time we know are coming and others we add in as we go. And uh, so praise God for that. But missions, getting the gospel into all the world, establishing churches, sometimes reestablishing churches in areas where there have been strong churches and no longer are. I think about our missionaries that are serving in England right now, for an example of that, especially around a large metropolis such as London. And you know, England was a mission-sending country. London Missionary Society sending people out into all the world. And now... Uh, England is horribly secular, downright pagan, using that as the religious term, the pagan religion. The Muslim influence is very great there. And England's much need of missionaries there. Great, great, huge city. All sorts of nations coming to it. And so there's a dependency of missions, and I want us tonight to be thinking about that. Let's look here in Philippians chapter 4. And of course, verse 19, we're going to begin in 9. But verse 19 is a well-known verse, isn't it? Look over to that. See that verse there? People like to claim that verse. My God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The Spirit of God gave that to Paul to give to the church at Philippi. But that promise is in context of something. And that's what we're going to see here starting in verse 9. Let's begin there. He says, Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen. There's a three-word prepositional phrase there. What is it? In me. Two-word. I can't count. In me. And I, I put seen into it. That's not part of it. And seen in me. Do. And the God of peace shall be with you. Here's a thought. The apostle was able to live in such a way, and I think this is what we'd like to do as, as children of God, he lived in such a way that if someone 
was watching him, they would learn something, they would get something, they would receive it, and they would hear it, that if they would do what they saw in his life, that they could dwell in a peaceful relationship with God. That's a, that's a great, uh, that'd be a great thing to have, wouldn't it? To be able to look at people, not in a prideful way by any means, certainly this doesn't include pride in it. They say, if you'll do what you've seen me do and you'll follow like you've seen me follow, you can have peace with God because you'll be making right choices with that. Um, you'll only get that in a life that is simple in serving Christ. And very straightforward, stays with the basics. That's a great thing there, I think. He said, but I rejoiced in the Lord. Now speaking to the church at Philippi. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Paul was not the bishop or the pastor that was leading that church. Paul was elsewhere doing the work of God. And he writes to the church and actually churches of Philippi that their care for him, he said, it's flourished again. Your care for me, he's not there. He's not a pastor at that church. He's not assistant pastor at that church or something like that. He's... He said, but your care for me has flourished. He said, it's come back up again. It is, it, is, it is increased. He said, which has flourished again, wherein you also were careful, but you lacked opportunity. He said, you were, you were wanting to do right, but there were some problems in the way. Not that I speak in respect of want. He said, I'm not rejoicing because I was lacking. And then he makes a statement, why? For I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. He said, I, I learned some things and so I can, I can handle whatever situation comes because I've learned these. Here's the situations. I know both how to be abased. He said, I know what it's like to be at the bottom of things and not have what's needed and be under a rough situation. And I know how to abound. He said, I know how to behave when blessings come and, and uh, there's benefit and finances and things are in good order. He said, I know how to do both. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Then he says how he can do this. I can do all things, referring back to that, through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's another well-known verse, isn't it? You see the context of that verse? That adds to it a lot, doesn't it? He said, I've learned to do this because I can do all these things because of Christ that strengthened me. When I don't have the basics I need, when I'm down and, I, and, and I'm in a base situation, I can do that through Christ which strengthened me. He said, when I'm abounding, I can do that without being destroyed by what that can bring through Christ which strengthened me. That's always the answer for it. Then he goes on. He says, notwithstanding, regardless of that, notwithstanding, ye have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. He said, churches, he said, you did well that you paid attention to the fact there was a need. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the Gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, now Philippi was the first city where the first churches of the Macedonian region were reached for Christ. This morning we began the series in Thessalonians and we learned that's a, that is a, uh, uh, a city also in the Macedonian region. But Philippi was the first place where people were reached. Remember him seeing the vision of the Macedonian man saying, come over and help us. And then they get over there. Do you remember who that first person was recorded that got saved in Philippi? The first one we have record of? It was Lydia, right? She was a businesswoman and a seller of purple. And she got saved. She was down by the river and heard the gospel and accepted the Lord. And then 
said, if you judge me faithful, he wanted them to meet in her house, opened her house up as a place. And that's interesting because she was not from Philippi. And you read the account, she wasn't from Philippi. In fact, I think she was from Thessalonica, wasn't she? And she was in Philippi, so I wonder if she had two houses, right? Anyway, they, I mean, seriously, you read it and you find out some things going on. It's like Aquila and Priscilla. They met Paul, and the reason why they were where Paul was was because the, the uh, Roman uh, uh, Caesar at that time had ran all the Jews out of Jerusalem. And so they were out there. It's, it's kind of neat to see God brought these business people into Paul's life and into the early church's life to help them get going for God. And they would often supply material needs and take care of the things needed. Because though the gospel, thank God, salvation by grace, everything that you need for teaching and training and helping people, it costs to operate. All of it does. And Paul's starting churches by the grace of God. But they had the situations too. Those needed to be able to go forward. You ever think about this in the book of Acts? You remember when the, uh, uh, or you remember reading about, you weren't there, um, but uh, you remember reading about the, uh, when the widows got all fussing, you know, over them getting fed and the, the widows of the Grecians and the widows of the Hebrews and the fuss over who was getting the, their meals first. And you remember what the apostles said at that time? They got together and they said, it is not reason that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. Therefore, choose you out seven men of good report, full of the Holy Ghost, whom we may appoint over this business. And they chose them out. And of course, those, I believe, are the first deacons. The deacon's job in the church is to be a help to the pastor of that church, to, to minister to the flock. And that's what they did. In this case, they were serving tables. Now think about this a minute. They were so busy with the Word of God, they're teaching. They've got a church that just went from 120 to 3,120. And these people need taught the Word of God. Now hold on a second. Does anybody think those men who said it's not meat that we should leave the Word of God to serve tables, does anybody think they had time to go out and get a job as a farmer to support themselves and their families? How about as a bricklayer? A carpenter? Anybody think they had time to go get a, get a, a job and work a, a full-time job or even a part-time job? Does anybody doubt that these men weren't laboring so much that it was sort of like when Jesus was on the earth and it said at one point, I was just reading this again in the book of Mark, where it says they had not any leisure because so many people come to be taught, they had not any leisure, not so much as to eat. They ran a schedule now. Everybody see it? Okay. So who supported them? Do you suppose that these apostles... Peter had a wife. I mean, Jesus healed his mother-in-law. I used to like what Brother Howell said. He said, if you have a mother-in-law without a wife, you're nuts. Amen? <laughs> and the Bible makes reference to Peter's wife also with that. When Paul, in, in 1 Corinthians 9, where he's teaching that the ox, or the one who's the pastor, the leader of the church, is not to muzzle the ox. He's supposed to live by what he does there. And uh, he said, do you not think we have the power? Or excuse me, in Acts 7, where he was talking about we have power to lead about a wife. And as Peter does, or as Cephas, he talks about this. They had families. Somebody had to take care of that. They, uh, they had basic needs. So who took care of that? It's God's people. So when you go to a mission field, and I promise you, when you're trying to establish a work and you're in a foreign culture, and with many of those cultures, you're not even allowed to work 
Like when we were here and we didn't start this work, but certainly the church was not in a position, there was not enough money coming into the church by any stretch of the imagination to support our family when we came in. The average offering was $523 a week. The rent, the month I became pastor, was $1,180 a month rent. And that didn't include utilities. And it went to $1,260 a month right after that. And before we moved off that property, I got the brilliant idea. I would try to talk the landowner down on his price. And he was a lawyer. He's, he's dead now. But George Keller, he was a lawyer in town. And I made an appointment with him to talk him down with my great persuasive powers and get the rent down some on our church. And I went into the meeting with the lawyer. And when I came out a while later, our rent was $1,380 a month. <clears throat> I lost. It went up. Last time I tried to talk a lawyer down on something. When, can I tell you something? We picked up our jobs. We worked and I did everything. Yard work. You name it. We did it just to, uh, to fill in the gaps. What about missionaries that are on the field where they are not even allowed to do that? Can I tell you there's many a man who is a uh, good, solid, Bible-believing man who does not have the physical stamina to do that? I'm not boastful. I'm not being bragged with that. Praise God, I have the capacity to run very little sleep and do that. And that's the only way you get something like that done because what it requires physical output-wise is pretty, pretty intense. Well, what about somebody who comes in they're not able to do that? We just had one little one, you know, four-month-old when we came here. What about somebody's trying to start church and have five or six kids? I know they have half a congregation already, but that congregation don't give much. Amen. A friend of mine once is, um, he was a staff member at First Baptist Hammond. He was talking about a big day they had. He had the Sunday school class and he was talking to me about this promotion, how great it went. And what they did, they had a car show. And they got all these people to show up with their show cars and they had uh, these uh, the gospel singing groups from the college and, and the church showed up and you know they talked to people and they came up to sing and people came to hear and then they got people's names and people signed up you know for things and, and they followed up on them and he had all this going on and then the first day of the class had 40 or 50 people show up first day of this adult Sunday school class. And they had this room, an empty room. They got some chairs. The church gave them so many chairs to do. And there they were. And 40 or 50 people, that's how they started with that. The first service. And then the class grew. It was, it was a good-sized class. And, it, and he was talking to me. He said, man, he says, that was, you know, he says, I know we weren't starting church, but it's kind of like it. And I said, no, it's not. And he said, oh, yeah. I said, no, it's not. Sorry, Buckwheat. You're on the wrong wagon. Nothing like it. And he said, what do you mean? I said, okay, let's try something different. I said, you have no budget to work with. You have no singing groups to pull from, from anywhere. You have no helpers coming, a bunch of helpers out that came out. I said, you have not only no people, but you have no room or no building. I said, you show up where nobody knows you, you have no support, and you have to find the people and then find a place and I said, how would you and your family like to have lived on and been at this time? I talked to him in school. I went to discourage him from his class. But I said, how would you and your family like to have survived? He had several children. I said, how would you like to be surviving on what your class gives every week? I'm sorry. I, I'm not telling you I could go get 50 people the first week in this new Sunday school class. 
But there's a big difference between starting something under the umbrella where someone else is making sure the bills are paid and somebody else is making sure of the trouble, making sure the insurance is there, making sure, the, you know what I mean? And when you got a trouble, it does like something you so effectively do. Hey, hand this off. You got nobody to hand it off to. You say, preacher, what's your point? My point is, when, when we got these folks going in, starting new churches and new areas, well, they better have somebody helping them. Guess what? I am somebody. And you are somebody. Uh, I'd get you all chanting, I am somebody, but we're on YouTube and I had to look kind of weird. Um, And so what happened was, he said, you sent once again to my necessity. He said, when we left Macedonia, look at the verse back there again. He said in verse 15, now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, there's several churches have been started. No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. So when he left and he was going out, he said, you were the only ones who helped. Later on, that region will become a great source of health. But then the Philippian church were the one that helped. And he said, you were the only ones with it. And then look what happened. So this morning, preaching about Thessalonica and those things there, look what he says. Verse 16, For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. While he was in Thessalonica, which is in that same region, and while that church was getting started, and while that church started going, the church of Philippi was still helping him in other words, he was still within the same region. That'd be like helping someone who's starting churches within the United States. Why? So that they can give their time to starting that church. So that they aren't trying to figure out how to come in after a 40, 50 hour a week work week and try to get things started with that. You say, is there something sinful about that? The only thing that may ever be sinful about that is the neglect of us as God's people. There's certainly something very honorable about someone who will do that type of work. But may we have a heart and a mindset not to watch them and say, well, I wonder if they're tough enough to make it. But instead, say, how can we help the gospel to go further? And what can we do to help that other church, to help that other work be ahead in the work of the Lord? These are the things we ought to be thinking of. These are the way, this is the way we ought to look at things as God's people. And so he goes on he talks about this. And then verse 17... He says, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. We literally get blessed for the blessing that we are to other people. As they get saved and as the, as the uh, uh, work goes forward in other areas, we get to be a part of that. We get to be a blessing of that. But I have all and abound. I am full having received of Epaphroditus, which was a man who helped the different ones and took things to him, the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. And he's making, uh, he's making a comparison that this that they were giving was in a way uh, similar to what it would have been like the, the sacrifices and the offerings and the incense going up. In the Old Testament, those sacrifices giving them to God. He said, what you've done has been a blessing. And, and, and he says, that's what it's like. Look at verse 19. Now, in the context of a church that was doing this to help other churches get started, but my God shall supply all your need according to His riches and glory by Christ Jesus. 
It is a shame that religious charlatans have come out with the health and wealth and prosperity gospel. They've used such terms as seed money. You send me some seed money and then God will bless you for it. And what these crooks have done is they have taken a wonderful Bible truth that's right here. We see it, the doctrine. And they've twisted it for their own gain. But can I tell you something? Whatever happens, whatever happens, and my wife knows I say this privately, I say to you publicly, we look at things here and, and try to run business well here at the church, but the most important thing, the vital thing, is we need to keep pleasing God. If we'll stay on track, please God and do what we ought to do. Love on Him and worship Him. If we allow our services to actually have worship towards God and to love on Him, if we'll be God's people and get the gospel out, then our God will take care of what's needed. He's done it. He wants to do it through you. If you choose not to do what you ought to and get involved, He'll bypass you and keep it running. He'll bypass me keep it running. Why? Because God wants His work to go forward. And so God, He deals with this thing. But there's a dependency of missions. Let me give you this quick thought. And then we'll go to either end of the building and eat. All right? <laughs> Let me talk to you about missions for a second with this. All right? <clears throat> dependency of, of missions is this. Number one, I put this down. Others, people in our country and people in other countries, people of all different types of backgrounds, different ethnicities, different upbringings, when it comes to missionaries and missions, others are depending on them, the them there being the missionaries, others are depending on them for the gospel. Does anybody uh, can real quickly tell me the name of the person that you remember first that gave you the gospel? Does anybody remember that? I know who Barry, my cousin Barry did first. Yes, sir. Miss Jenny did? Yes, sir. Brother Huntington did? Good. You remember? School. And then the Air Force was later. Yeah. 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 Okay. And maybe you don't remember her na name, but just like that young lady at school, Miss Phyllis. Brother, Pastor Ed Law used to pastor right down there in the corner of Wheeling and Columbus. Is that where the building was? It's a print, print shop now. Okay. That's what I'm saying. There we go. Yes. Uh, Brother Stanley from Roofort Baptist Church. He was filling in for our pastor. Okay. Brother Stanley is a filling in pastor. Yes, sir. Brother Tim, all right, yeah. Stacy, your dad, that's awesome. Yes, sir, your dad. Your Aunt Jody, amen. Of course, missionary now in Thailand, has been for a long while. Her, her brother Charlie, Shieldneck, I can't even say their name right. That's impressive. <laughs> your parents, all right, I love it. Good deal. Hey, wait a minute. So somebody gave the gospel to them, right? Then they came to you with the gospel, right? You say, oh yeah, but that's here. We're talking about missions. We, we, we tend to think of, of missions as people a long way from us instead of people a long way from God, which is what missions is. So let's get this to what it is. Missions is this thing of us continuing and helping others to tell what they've heard. There's a dependency on people out there to hear the gospel. There are people all over this area have heard the gospel because of people from this church. There's a dependency. We are not the only gospel preaching church in town, for which I am very grateful. 
But we are a gospel preaching church. And so there are people, just like the, the fellow said to you today as you went, who, who talked to you? Bert? Last name? Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you came by. I'm so glad God sent you by. That 46-year-old man, broken in heart, broken and down in spirit, so glad someone came to talk to him about the gospel. Young people who are concerned about where their souls are going, afraid of what's going on. Somebody heard the gospel. The others are dependent on them for the gospel. Anybody here planning a trip to Thailand anytime soon? No? This land is my land. This land is Thailand or something like that. Um, anybody here planning on going to, uh, let's pick one, Ghana. Ghana, West Africa. No? People there with that. Let's see. Let's think a minute here. Uh, anybody, anybody planning on going to Australia anytime in the next few months? Australia trips. Anybody planning on driving internationally because it's too weird to get on an airplane? Um, the, uh, you reckon there's people in those places and others we could go through that need the gospel? Well, then how can we be an influence on in that? Well, by influencing and, and helping those who are there in those places. You mentioned your Aunt Jody. Well, you all were living out here in 88. I still remember the night all that went on. And uh, the, uh, but they're in Thailand now. There's other people they're talking to the gospel. They're talking to about the gospel. There's a dependency of other people on missionaries getting to them. We can be a part of that. Then uh, in Acts 16, of course, verse 9, the, uh, you had the Macedonian man come help us. We may not see the vision, the physical vision like Paul did, but there are people saying, come help us. People who will hear, come help us. Come help us. I still remember Brother Dan uh, uh, Shelton telling me he got to make a trip years ago down into Mexico with a, uh, uh, they went down with very precious seed and went in with, uh, I think it was New Testaments, maybe in John and Romans, but I think it was New Testaments. So they basically had a truckload of these things. Pick up truck, they go into a village. He said, we could not give them out fast enough. I want one. And people weren't just thinking it was a handout. They knew it was a copy of the Bible. We want those. And you talk about they just sat down and read. There are places that have such a hunger for the Word of God. Who want to hear it. And they're saying, come help us. In uh, Romans chapter 1, Paul made the statement. He said, I am a debtor. Both to the Jew and to the Greek. Why? He's a debtor. What does that mean? The gospel would come to him. Now he has a debt to send it to somebody else. That's a debt not only to them because they need to hear the gospel, but it's a debt to our Savior to continue on the work that He gave us to do. And talk to people and get the gospel to them. So, the dependency of missions is there are others depending on our missionaries. Others depending on the soul winners to go. I like that. I, I'm glad Brother Huntington... You know, Connor... Uh, if and I'm sure this isn't all, but if all that ever happened with Brother Huntington coming from Texas to go to West Virginia as you heard the gospel through him, that would have been worth every bit of investment to do that. Because you're worth that. And why? This, this thing of getting the gospel is important. Very, very important getting it out. Then I put this down. They're depending on us for some things. They're depending on us for prayer. I, uh, I wrote some things down. I did some research. 
was studying through some things this week for it, and I, I uh, did some research about biblical prayers, precedents for biblical prayers for missionaries. You know, we'd all like to pray something besides just God bless the missionaries, whoever they might be, right? How about this? I'll give you some biblical examples. I'm going to give you references. I'm not going to turn you to all these. You might want to write these down because you can look these up and it'll help you pray. Now, writing these down, and strong suggestion there, you need to get something with which to write. You say, oh, I'll remember them. No, you won't. (laughs) So I've got a real good memory. Mm -hmm. Um, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. I've already got mine written down. I did it while I was studying them. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. By the way, you might put some title above this. Ways to pray for a missionary. You ever write down something you really thought was neat? Or references? And then you forget why you had the reference? You're like, what was that about? Then you go back and read it and it doesn't remind you what you were thinking. That's always a bad thing. So you might put a little direction for yourself there. Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. And I I just, I summarize these. This is a term from that passage. When the apostle said, pray for us that a door of utterance be opened to us. Now, hold on. Let's think about what all that can mean for our missionaries. What about someone trying to learn a new language? Think that might not fit under that door of utterance, being able to get that and communicate with that? Amen. You know, I'm keeping the door open if the Lord might call me as a missionary to Mexico sometime, so I'm going to every Mexican restaurant I can and trying to learn to... See? <laughs> Revival just broke out with Brother Robin. He went from looking a bit tired to, oh yeah, I'm in on this. <laughs> Some of you may be going to China or something like that. Who knows? <laughs> but Everybody woke up at once on that one. I like that. Um, but couldn't the door of utterance mean learning the, learning the language? How about that? I believe God did that for Brother Sam Wilson and his family when they went to Russia. Russia is not a particularly easy language to learn. And uh, that can mean that. How about this? How about the opportunity to speak to the right people? I'm thinking about when Brother Hayton was on, on the field there in Africa and talking about one area they've been praying over and wanting to get into, this tribal area. And as he pointed out, and I've had others tell me, he's, he's, he was very emphatic about it. He said the... He said he called them the uh, false or the uh, uh, what does he call them? The something's not natural. It's a made up. That's not the word I'm looking for. Yeah, synthetic's too strong of a word. That's the first thing I thought of too. Uh, anyway, the we'll use synthetic. That's a good word. Um, but the lines that are put there for the political boundaries of this country and that country. He said when you get there and start reading the gospel, he says they, that's not that's not the issue. He said you have to deal with that. He said, but in the areas where he was, along the Zambezi River, Escarpment area, and down and where he was, he said it was all dealing with who the tribal chiefs were. Because those, you know, well, they call it almost fictitious boundaries. You had to deal with them. But those were made up and changed hands. He said, that's not what the people would go by. They go by the tribal leadership. And he said, if you went into certain areas without the blessing of the tribal leader... He said it could range from them just forbidding anybody to listen to you and nobody's going to talk to you to actually having you hurt or killed. Because he would see it as a usurpation of his authority. You're coming to bring a new religion, which he would take as a personal threat. You know, think of Herod, you know. Show me where this fellow called the king of the Jews is. He saw him as a potential threat. And if you knew anything about the Herodian household, you'd know that was their nature. Uh, but he said what you had to do is get the blessing of tribal chief. Well, there was an area that 
As near as they could tell, there were close to 30,000 people in all these different villages. And he said they were going along and they seemed to have gotten on the wrong trail and seemed to have made the wrong turn and seemed to have, you know, he's a little bit put out and because they had went the wrong way and they're on foot and it was going to take them a while. And uh, he said then there was this kind of big procession coming. You could tell it was somebody of importance. They kind of had to stand aside and you know, these people saw this was a white man and different things going on. They got talking. Come to find out it's the tribal chief of that region. Brother Hayton was able to lead him to Christ. The man wanted to hear the Gospel. And instead of being a barrier, the man said, you come, all my people listen. So every village they go to, the tribal chief said, all of you, show up. <laughs> Couldn't make them convert, but certainly had them show up to hear the Gospel. Would that be a door of utterance? How about a door of utterance of, of, of giving the opportunity uh, to know at what time to speak and what to speak about? These are things, I'm talking about us praying for missionaries that we know. This is biblical praying. Alright, here's another one that I found. In, in 2 Thessalonians <clears throat> chapter 3 and verse 1, this prayer is given, or this request, that the Word of the Lord would have free course and be glorified. Right? You may not write all that down. Write down the 2 Thessalonians 3, 2 Thessalonians 3 1. But it says that the word of the Lord shall have free course and be glorified. Be praying for God, uh, His word to go out without the obstructions and be heard clearly. And be glorified. People glad they heard the word of God. This, this is biblical praying. So I don't know how to pray for the missionaries. Do you know that's a very legitimate concern? Many people who want to pray effectively for the missionaries don't know how to pray. Well, I'm giving you biblically what I found in the Bible how we can pray and, and pray for our missionaries. And by the way, I don't think God would be too upset if we use these same principles for more than just missionaries we know. This is a good thing. In fact, I wouldn't be upset if you would pray these kind of things for me as your preacher. I think that'd be a good thing. I'd like that. And then Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. Jesus' prayer request I mentioned this morning, the only recorded prayer request that Jesus gave, send forth labors. Where? Into his harvest. You say, what's that prayer about? Okay. Biblically, yeah, stay with me. Stay with me. Biblically, sending, praying for God to send laborers along with these folks. That's going to tie into something else I'm going to teach you in just a moment here. Colossians 1, verse 9. It said, Pray for us to be filled with the knowledge of his will and in wisdom and all spiritual understanding. Well, we pray for that. You say, well, they know they're in God's will. In the broad spectrum of it, yes. Because they're winning souls, they're preaching, establishing churches. It may even be more specific that they really are confident by what has happened that they're in the right location or maybe the, I should say, the, the, the uh, a premium or the ultimate location for doing that. There are some areas you could probably be more effective in than others. But what is this thing about that praying, pray for us to be filled with knowledge of His will. What if we pray for our missionaries with that, for them to have the spiritual discernment and understanding to know day by day what God's will is in their ministry? Okay, consider this scenario. You have a missionary has limited resources. They have only a certain number of workers with them. They've only got a certain amount of time. Some countries it takes... A massive amount of time to get the basics of life done. 
Lesson I learned immediately in getting into Haiti, I learned immediately, I didn't have to be there a long time to figure this one out. You couldn't do anything fast. We had to go get a little part for a generator, and you can't leave anything. Brother Biz made a mistake, and he was a Haitian. He said, I should have known better. But he, he took his car and left it with the fellow once, and instead of fixing the car, the guy stole parts off of it and sold it. Terry called the police. You're not getting it. That's not how it works. They might steal parts too. It's just, you know, do it. It's bad. Real bad. But what if, what if, pray for them to have wisdom, okay? Here's an area that somebody's trying to reach. God's put on their heart. Well, in what town do you start? And then in what section of that town? And then where do you invest your time mainly? And where do you give yourself? You only go so far and you want to do it the right way. Did you notice in Philippi, if you think back, when they went into Philippi, they were there several days. It says certain days, which would indicate several days. Before they talked to Lydia and all them, it seems that they were looking about the town trying to get a firm hold on where does God want us in this town. Then they went down to this river by which prayer was wont to be made, and they began there, and God blessed that from that point forward. Well, if we pray for them to have wisdom to know the next steps to make. What about with this? And I took quite a bit of time at the beginning of the service to talk to you about structure and how churches work. I know that's not shouting it out, preaching against all your neighbor's sins type preaching, but let me tell you something about it. Um, it's a very real part of what they have to do. What if we pray for them? you you got to understand, these missionaries go in, they have to train the leaders, of the future leaders of the churches. Please don't take this as an insult to anything somebody does in life. But they have to be training people not just to do their daily work, whatever it may be in that society, but they need to find and ask God to open up and send them somebody that they can be training to carry a pastoral level load. That missionary many times has to be an entire Bible college in and of themselves. To help equip and train in every area. And the amount of time of that's extraordinary. What if we pray for them to have wisdom and God's will? So they can turn. Why? Because their whole purpose is to train someone so they can go elsewhere and that person can keep that church going. We are not, the Bible pattern is not to go build churches that it's almost a welfare dependency that if you pull the American missionary out and the American money out, that church just collapses. What happens when the American gets kicked out? What happens when he can't be there? What happens when the whole state and country shuts down and nobody can be there that doesn't live there? What do you have then if you don't have nationals, people from there, who are taking the gospel? And by the way, who is more effective to take people to those folks than their own people? Where it's their first language and they know the culture and they can deal with folks. And so I meant to take quite a bit of time on that point. Then I also, um, Hebrews 13.8, gives you one other on that, is to have a, con- a good conscience and willing to live honestly. Apostle Isaiah said, pray for us. Have a good conscience and willing to live honestly. What about praying for them to be able to maintain their personal holiness and their walk with God? Don't you know that target's on there? I mean, if in 
Human warfare, it is a well-known thing in warfare of all different types. If you can aim and take out the officers, however that may be structured in the military, that's what you want to do. Because guess what? You take the officers out, guess what you just did? You just messed up all the troops. It's a simple strategy. Take them out. Don't you think the enemy of our soul is pretty good at warfare? You may have a church full of strong, godly people who love their Bibles, but not all of them are God-called pastors. The God-called pastor doesn't necessarily know his Bible than everybody in, better than everybody in that congregation. He's not necessarily more godly than everybody in that congregation. He's not necessarily the best soul winner in that congregation or anything else, but God's calling cannot be discounted. And without it, you will not effectively lead a church and, 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 and shepherd it as God wants it done. It's just not happening. You may administratively oversee something and be a blessing to God's people, but there's a distinction when God's hand's on it and God's calling's on it. Well, you take out that, you affect the whole body. Amen. And, man, that's God's principle. And I can talk to you about that. So prayer. How about provision and personnel? Willing to give. Willing to go. Well, I'd always be willing. Have the Lord do what He will with us. We can make all kinds of big plans, don't we? But we ought to be saying, Lord, uh, where do you want me? I'll, I'm willing to go. I always want to keep that kind of heart for the Lord. And then let me say to you tonight, they're depending on others are depending on them for the gospel. They're depending on us for prayer, for provision. I talked to you about that again. I don't need to elaborate for personnel. But then let me say to you, they and we both are dependent on God for the harvest. We understand that. In 1 Corinthians 3, of course, it tells us that Paul said, I planted. There's your person just getting in at the beginning. Apollos watered. It's one coming along afterwards. But who gave the increase, church? You know it. God gave the increase. How many of you know that? Amen? All right. So you tell me. Who did that? Who gave the increase? God did. All right. But God gave the increase. So that he that planteth and he that watereth are nothing but God that giveth the increase. And so we are dependent. We are. And they are dependent on God for the harvest. God gives a harvest. Well, you say, well, somebody's got to go. Yes, they do. But to go without the blessing and Spirit of God would never produce anything. It's God that gives the harvest. And God has chosen to work with us and through us, and that's a blessing. It really is. Psalm 126.6 makes a statement, He that goeth forth. So we've got to go forth. Bearing precious seed shall doubtless come and go forth and weepeth. I almost forgot a very important part of the verse. Bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. That's the full harvest of the grain. But we go forth. But we're dependent on God. He's the one who gives it. And He's the one who helps us with it. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 11. So others are dependent on the missionaries to get the Gospel to them. The missionaries are dependent on us for prayer, for provision, and for personnel. I don't know how many times Brother Darren said to me this last time they were back, he said, Pastor, we always talked about it. He said, but I cannot express how important it is to have God's people praying. He said, yes, we have needs. Yes, there are things. He goes, but it is spiritual battle. It is spiritual darkness. And without prayers, it's going nowhere. I think probably 
that should be impressed on our hearts too. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. And all of us, us, the missionaries, all of us are dependent on God for the increase. Even as I told you, the vital thing in our church is to keep pleasing the Lord. I like that this morning in the Sunday school lesson that we dealt with, a two-part lesson. The teacher may or may not have dealt with this this morning, but I like this. It's a vital part of that lesson that they were ministering to the Lord. That's what they were doing there at the church at Antioch. They were ministering to the Lord from that church. That's where the missionaries came from. A church that ministered to the Lord. I'm glad our young people got to enjoy junior churches this morning. Be well cared for in the nursery. I'm glad we've got to be together as a church family and there's laughter and talking and all that going on. I'm glad we've enjoyed some good singing together. I'm glad you've gotten gotten to enjoy being in the house of God today. That's important. I'm glad for it. But far above all that is that the Lord Jesus would be pleased with what has happened here at 2032 Cedar Hill Road on this Lord's Day. That every song would be a song that would honor Him. That every prayer would be a heart turned to Him. That every bit of preaching and teaching that's been done on this property, every outreach with the Gospel today would be according to the Scripture and would be pleasing to the Lord. That's the vital thing. For when God's pleased with us, then we can know that we'll have His blessing and uh, His strength to go forward. Hebrews, Ecclesiastes, I do that often. Sounds weird, doesn't it, to mix those two? But those are two of my favorite books in the Bible. Why I flip those two? I have no idea, but I do. Look at verse 6. In the morning, sow thy seed. And in the evening, withhold not thine hand. The idea there is you keep sowing the seed. You don't, you don't decide not to because the sowing is broadcasting by hand, throwing the seed out. We planted grass up here. Uh, Logan came in and bought some grass and after the fellas got that, uh, Isaiah and Benjamin got that ground nicely sculpted there, Logan came in and seeded that and, and, and worked with it. And we had an area where it was too compacted and the seed didn't come up properly and the heat got to it. So I came in with a little tiller we have and worked up ground in that area and then reseeded over that. Logan had a spreader and stuff. He's got his company in that. Not me, I had a, I had a hand. And uh, I was out there spreading the seed. I was singing songs too. Sowing in the morning, sowing in the... I did. I sing I'm out there. I sing because I'm happy. I sing while I throw seed. And I'm just throwing it around, you know. Keep away you sparrows. It's not for you to feed. Amen. And just, it's... Uh, I'm out there spreading, spreading the, uh, the seed around with my shirt untucked because I don't like sowing seed where it itches after a while. And so we're sowing seed and throwing it around. That's what these folks were doing. It says, withhold not thy hand. It's talking about hold, don't, don't get stingy with the gospel. Now, look at the verse. In the morning sow thy seed. In the evening withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not. You mentioned this in the, you mentioned this in the office, Brother Andrew. And the question was asked you about how do you know if people are sincere and all that. It was a good question asked. Got soul winning. And you don't. We're, that's not our issue. Our issue is to clearly and, and thoroughly present the gospel. That's it. The, uh, and here it is. In the morning sow thy seed. In the evening withhold not thine hand. For thou knowest not whither shall prosper. Either this 
the morning sowing, or that, the evening sowing, or whether they both shall be alike good. He said, in the morning, be about sowing your seed. In the evening, keep doing that because you don't know what's going to be good. We know the seed's good. We know we're supposed to be sowing. But we don't know if it's wayside, if it's stony ground, if it's thorny ground, or if it's good ground. We don't know what all the Master has in mind, but we do know the seed's good, and we do know we're supposed to be sowing. And so the rest is God's business. So you say, well, what are we doing? Is this working to build the church? We're not trying to do that with this. We are sowing. And we're supposed to keep at it in the morning and in the evening and stay at it year in and year out, not looking for some new religious fad or some new religious twist to build a church or some new thing to follow, but just stay with the plain teaching of the Word of God to love our Savior, to love one another, to worship God in the beauty of holiness, and to get His Word out to as many people as we can. And I believe when God sees a people that will do that, He says, somebody's getting the idea that was plainly written in my book. I'm glad they're doing it. And uh, I want to be a part of that. Let's pray together, all right? Father, thank You for Your words. Thank You for the precious dignity of it. Thank You for the convicting power of it in my heart. Lord, as I'm preaching this, I'm thinking, Lord, that I, I, I need to get a bigger handful out there. And uh, I, need to, I need to swing a little wider arc with that, uh, with that seed. God, thank You for the harvest we saw today, for You touching people's hearts. And we ask You even, Lord, that where seed was sown today, that that will bring forth. Lord, I pray You'll help us to be a church that thanks to you first, and then tries to do according to how you want it done. Lord, help us to have a simplicity and godly sincerity in following you. Bless your people tonight. May real transaction of heart and soul be done at this altar, in this place tonight, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Something you want to bring before the Lord, why don't you come tonight? There's a dependency. You, you may not be able to sketch out what all your part is in it, and you don't have to. But God's looking for hearts that are tender toward Him. Just hearts that are tender towards Him. How about you tonight? This web's going to play an invitation song. If you want to join those who are here, we invite you to come tonight.